Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Live and Learn with Daniel Floyd. For those of you that don't know me, I'm your host, Daniel. I'm a teacher and a family man learning to be better every day through authentic conversations. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. On this episode, Shalene and I are going to be continuing our series of discussions that we've been having on healthy habits. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing probably one of the most challenging habits that I'm sure we've all dealt with, and that is screens. Now, as you may already be aware from listening to previous episodes, Shalene and I have been basing our discussions of healthy habits on a book that discusses these topics from a parenting perspective. The book is Habits of the Household, Practicing the Story of God in Everyday Family Rhythms by Justin Early. In the chapter on screens, I really like how Early predicates his discussion on the idea that we shouldn't think of screens as entirely bad. If they were, we would just get rid of them altogether. But rather, that we should think of screens as being powerful. That is, powerful in their ability to shape what type of person we're becoming. And so, because of this power that screens can have over our personal formation, I believe that it is critical that we all learn how to better manage this aspect of our lives. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please reach out to us. My email is in the show notes. Also, if you think of anyone that would also benefit from hearing this conversation, go ahead and share this episode with them. We greatly appreciate everyone's support. All right, without further ado, let's get into the episode. I was doing good yesterday, and honestly, today has been good too, but the last, like, I don't know, two hours working on stuff and then, like, watching you play video games, it's a good setup for this week's discussion. (laughs) Yes, it is. We're going to talk about screens, but yes, we've had a couple days of just being cooped up in the house because we've had 10 inches of snow, more or less, fall. Yeah. Which I can't think of the last time, even in my lifetime, we've had that much snow really? in one go. I mean, it snowed for um, like 24 hours straight, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then we've got another six inches, according to my phone, on Friday. Today is... Six or eight is what I saw this morning. Right. It keeps changing, so huh, we'll see sense. how it goes. But. But yeah, I'm excited for this next chapter in the book because it has to do with screens, and I think this is probably one of the best chapters we've read so far um, from Habits of the Household, and so I'm excited to get into it. Um, I like how he formulated the whole... So like the whole premise of the chapter is that from a parent's perspective, screens are competing with parents for forming your children. Mm. Okay. And so he's talking about it's a battle of formation. And so, um, and he was kind of quoting his wife because it sounds like he like interviewed his wife for this chapter. Um, you think? I mean, from the beginning, I think he says he did explicitly, but um, she was like, yeah, like screens are nice because you could just give it to your kid and it's like a pacifier and they just kind of go comatose and they just watch Coco Melon or whatever that dog show is, Bluey. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. And like the kids will leave you alone, um, which obviously we, we're not raising kids right now, but I can only imagine the nonstop nature of raising kids Yeah. of like, they're always there. They always need help. Like you can't even just give them food. You have to cut the food for them. Just like, like every, they can't even blow their own nose for however many years. It's just like, yeah, that's part of, part of the process. And so I can see how it like, yes, at some points it's like, ah, just, take this iPad and leave me alone. Like that's definitely a temptation, but screens are so powerful because they have the ability to form in us 
um, character or maybe even lack of character. They form ideas. They tell us stories. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of power in them. And so I like how he says that screens are not altogether bad. And so, cause like if they were forbidden by scripture in some way, like if they were obviously sinful, then it's like, well, we just throw them away. We don't touch them and we move on. Um, but one thing in his intro that stood out to me was the fact that, um, that screens aren't bad, but they're powerful. And so we have to learn how to responsibly use them um, instead of just getting rid of them. And so that's where it's like challenging because using something responsible responsibly is more difficult than just saying no altogether. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I thought that was I thought that was a good uh, perspective of going into it. Yeah, it reminds me of the article that. Derek Rohr sent out when we were like oh, finishing my. up college. I forgot about, about that. About the like the yes within the no or the no within the yes. Was that it? The no within the yes. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was the idea that it's not a blanket over technology of no or yes. It's more like how can you responsibly use something within a yes to tell yourself no to like specific things like maybe you don't need to watch this or maybe you need to limit the screen time or maybe you need to consume differently or yeah yeah i'm glad you brought out that uh that article i know actually that article was actually very formative for me you should put it in the show notes i should yeah because like it it was like taking a paradigm from another topic Mm -hmm. and then i think that article was applying it to like social media specifically Uh of like if you're asking social media yes or no like that's the wrong question but it's okay, yes, social media, but it's not yes to all of it all the time and not no to it all the time, but like, yeah, how do we navigate within it? So I'm curious, I can't remember what the original thing was, but someone in that article was stealing that paradigm and using it for social media. Yeah. But it uh, applies for screens too. Knowing you, you still have that article. (laughs) I mean, it's in my email somewhere. Right. But it's like from six years ago. Yeah. Speaking of using technology, uh, Shalene, you're the type of person that deletes emails. Sorry, little rabbit trail here. Yeah. I have not deleted an email in so long. Actually, Ever? I delete, okay. I delete emails that are obviously junk. Like this is advertising that I didn't even want. And so I'm just going to delete it. But I found out early on that I would spend a lot of time like in my email life. I would sit there and be like, okay, do I delete this email or not? Am I going to need it later? How am I going to know if I need it later? I don't know if I'm going to need it later. I might not. And I realized that I was wasting so much time thinking through that and like coming up with like, well, what's a good system for like a rubric of like in my brain of how I could decide whether or not to delete this email. It's just like, I'm just going to save myself a bunch of time for the rest of my life and never think about it. Yeah. And so I just don't delete emails. But you organize them. I do. Yes. I have. I use the little flag system yeah. that, that iOS has with the, the color coordination. Um, so I organize them, but I just keep all of them. So in my, across my like eight email accounts, I think there's like 40,000 emails that I have. And most of them are red, but they're just sitting there. How do you have that data capacity? Well, uh, I think, well, first of all, it's eight email accounts, so they're not all stored in the same place. In the, same place. That'll do it. the other thing that's nice is email is pretty much just text, Yeah, which is like no storage space. Sure. So, well, I'm just, I'm actually becoming more and more like that because in my job with emails that matter, it's that same thing of like, I don't know, am I going to need this? And then inevitably the moment that I'm like, nah, I'm never going to need this. My boss walks in and goes, Hey, do you have that thing that said this thing from like four months ago? And I'm like, Ah, <laughs> I did up to three months ago, but now it's been deleted from my trash forever. And so now I just keep it all and organize it all. And it was actually funny because uh, a friend, Maddie Ogbomo, walked into the office the other day to like meet with me. And I had my email pulled up and she looks over and she goes, oh, my folders. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Because you got all the folders. Yeah, I, I have a lot of folders. That's funny. Because I want to be able to find things nicely. And I want like, I want to be able to look at a specific, like I do a lot of event planning. So I want to be able to go to a specific event folder and see comprehensively all of the communication that I've done regarding that event to see what's been missed or, or it'll prompt other thoughts. Like it's not helpful to just do a keyword search for one thing. It's helpful to see the whole folder. 
Yeah. Because I could, you could argue that I don't need to do any of the folders because you can just search for whatever you need. But that's my argument for why not. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, yeah, searching within folders is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, there's a little thing about emails, but. On that rabbit I, trail. I'm, I'm also, but I'm not one of those people that leaves them all unread. Like I'm not one of those people that has like. Yeah. 2,000. I appreciate that about you. In the little red dot. So. I don't know how we do if. I don't know. I've got like a hundred emails usually that go unread, but I look at all of them. It's not like I ignore emails. It's like, oh, I want to read that later. And then I get to it a year after, but I don't know. Yet you never read my announcement emails. Yes. I read them so fast that I don't comprehend them. Oh. (laughs) Which is the same as not reading them. I, yeah, I skim them really fast. I don't know. Okay. So you do open them. Yeah. Hmm but then I forget what they say. Mm. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Mm. Also, just in case listeners, you don't know, I'm not, I'm talking about like my job is our church administrator. So their church emails, we don't have like household announcement emails. Hey, Daniel, here's the lowdown for the week in the Floyd home. I was about to explain that because- That would be hilarious. I I do not ignore personal emails from my wife. These are just like (laughs) the generic church announcements that my wife- Happens to send, but... He does not ignore emails from his wife, nor is his wife so uptight as to send him weekly emails. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> I mean, we could. Maybe one day, especially when we got a little bunch of mi- mi- mini Floyds or micro Floyds running around. Mi- it's like, mi- mi- I couldn't decide if I want to say mini or micro, but... Got it. Micro yeah. Floyd. I like micro Floyds. Yeah. But anyway, uh, back to screens. Um, I really like this chapter, not only because I think it's helpful for parents in managing screens for their kids, but even if you're not a parent, I think this is a really helpful framework just for managing your own screen time. Uh, yeah. Which is, I mean, and this this chapter um, was kind of convicting even for me because I've had a very, very unhealthy history with screens. Um, I mean, I think it's definitely fair to say that I've had like an addictive relationship with YouTube and with phone games and and just all kinds of other stuff we won't go into, but like, this is very real for me. Um, and, and this is very real even now in this moment, because like, I am currently like not on YouTube and I'm not currently not doing any social media and yeah. all kinds of other stuff. And so like, and that is like a direct result of my history with the addictive nature of screens and, you know, certain websites that I find entertaining like YouTube and stuff. And so like, for me personally, I still think that there's work to be done and there's a journey forward, uh, because I don't have all this figured out. Um, and so, yeah, even if you're not necessarily parenting, I think that this topic and this paradigm that the, um, author Justin, Justin early puts forth is, is really helpful. But he basically just breaks it down into two uh, layers of how we can curate our screen time. So we're not saying no altogether. We're not saying yes to everything all the time. But there's like two layers of, of, of how we approach screens. And then the first layer is setting limits, mm-hmm. which – and then the, the flip side of that layer is like setting limits and then having expected rhythms. Like, okay, here's a planned – lifestyle and planned out habits that I'm already going to work out of. And then under that, once we've figured that out, um, making good choices within those limits. So setting up limits and then having a framework for, okay, now that I have my limits, I still don't watch or do anything I want on a screen. I still make good choices within those limits. And so he, you know, and so he spends most of the chapter talking about those two layers. And he uses the word curation, which I think is helpful because otherwise you're kind of just saying like limits within limits. Sure. So I, yeah, yeah, the word curation is really good. Yeah. Curation is the overarching principle, I think. And it's like the two layers of curation. Is that, is Is that correct? I don't know. I know you can flip over and check in the book. Okay. You keep talking. (laughs) But anyway, um, yeah, and I, I'm not necessarily going to give all of the limits that he gives for his family, but basically the principle is like there's a time and a place for screens. And so maybe you have a planned movie night of like, okay, this is when we watch movies. Or like he says, like the car is off limits. We are not watching movies or playing videos in the car. Car is family time. 
um, stuff like that. And so, I mean, if you want to read the book, you can go read the book. But Shalene, we already have stuff like that for ourselves, um, where, for example, like we pretty much don't take screens into the bedroom. Um, right. Maybe the phone is in the bedroom, like if it's just sitting there. But it is a rare exception for us to be like sitting in bed watching anything. Well, and that's part of what he makes the point of too, is that part of the having a rhythm, part of having the limits is so that when you make an exception, it is an exception and a celebration and like a different thing. So yeah, that's definitely one of ours. And then it is like a celebration. Like when we have snow days, we might watch a movie in bed or a lazy Saturday and it's like, Ooh, we're going to stay in bed and watch a movie. Whoa. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's actually one of the sections he, he calls it generous generous exceptions Mm -hmm. where it's like yes okay so we're not the the temptation i think always with these types of things is like to become legalistic yeah and absolute in a way that's not helpful and so the we have to remember the whole point of setting these limits is that we are taking control of who's forming who yeah as the parent am i a slave to my screens or am I letting God form who I am? And a screen is just a small part of my life that I am in control of. That's the goal. Um, and then for kids, am I the parent forming my kids or are the screens forming my kids? They're, mm-hmm. they're uh, capturing their imaginations, capturing their attention, teaching them about life and things like that. And so the goal is not to be like, okay, I'm never going to watch movies on a Monday evening until I die. It's like, okay, no, the, the point of setting limits is not to make laws, it's to set general patterns. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm coming back around to what you brought up, Shalene, of like, there could be exceptions to the pattern and it's okay to have exceptions, but the presence of exceptions just points to the fact that there is a habit in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because if something, if there is no such thing as an exception, then that means we don't have intentionality. We're not living intentionally. Yeah. But the fact that there are exceptions means that we have an intentional plan in the first place or else it wouldn't be an exception. Right. And so, I don't know, we're sitting here and like it was a snow day for both of us the second day. And so, yes, I've played a little more video games than normal and you've watched more, uh, I don't know if your show is on Netflix or you've watched some shows maybe a little more than normal, but like that's a generous exception of like we slept in. We also worked, we both worked on work stuff, but like we're doing a little more screens, but like once we're back to work, like we will not be doing that and we're not going to live our lives like that in perpetuity. Sure. And so, so yeah. So I don't know for us, the, the screens in the bedroom is a big thing. Um, oh, I know actually another one that was like really hard for me Hmm. was like screens later in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually like one of the big things that even came up early in our marriage. Mm-hmm. because a pattern for me was that I wanted to get like as much entertainment out of the day as possible. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, usually evenings for me was like dinner. And then there's usually like church or hanging out with friends or something else going on or a meeting in the evening. And then that ends and you've kind of got this dead time of like, okay, I've got like 30 minutes to an hour before bed. And I just got home from this meeting or whatever. And my default, going back into college, well, college was like, okay, I got to cram in and study and work hard and da 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 Sure. But then in free time, it was like, as I progressed out of college, it was like, ooh, that time was filled with YouTube videos or games or watching something else or, you know, what have you. And so, like, then we got married, and that is not your routine. No. Uh, you should tell everyone what your routine well, my normally ru- was. Yeah, my routine before we got married was that... I don't know. I'd do all the things with all the people and then I'd go get ready for bed like an hour or two before actual like sleep time. And then I'd get in bed and I'd journal and read for like an hour or two. And it was great. And then you fall asleep and you're just like, oh man, you got your Bible study. You got your talking to Jesus. You got your good book. Like, good stuff and so then yeah we got married and and you're expecting an hour of like wind down time yes and i'm expecting like no we've got an hour left before. you go hard and then you just fall asleep like you fall in bed asleep and i'm like what just <laughs> happened which is like i think there's like a joke about that i've seen that on the internet of like when you tell a guy like when a guy says i'm gonna go to bed it's like he changes his clothes puts on his pjs brushes his teeth and goes to bed and then when the girl's like i'm gonna go to bed it's like 
gets into her PJs, brushes her teeth, reads a book, folds a little laundry, does this or that, texts her, you know, some people good night. And it's just like the definitions of go to bed are very different, which is funny. Yeah. But but I was not just different. I was like unhealthy. And so for me, this is like a huge area that needed to change. Mm -hmm. But I don't know necessarily if I had the desire to change or even the self-discipline to change. And so that's definitely an area where Shalene, you have like really helped me personally with like daily habits. Um, and that was one of the first like major blessings to me in our marriage is you being like, uh, Daniel, you being on screens, like right up to bedtime is like really bothering me. And I don't feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And me kind of pushing back on that, but then also eventually coming around and being like, oh yeah, like this is unhealthy and this is leading to not being able to sleep or my mind being restless and just like all these other problems were kind of rooted in unhealthy rhythms and unhealthy habits. Mm -hmm. And so um, addressing that, identifying that, and then being able to change that um, was really helpful. Yeah. And I like love our bedtime routine now. Yeah. Because we go to bed. Well, we get ready for bed. You're still ready like so fast. Yeah. I just have like five more steps to my routine than you. Yeah. But that is nice. Like we get to like read together and pray. And then talk and it just fall asleep. It's nice. Yeah. It's good. That's good stuff. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so like, but we now have the understanding of like, yeah, the not only is in bed a no screen zone, yeah, but like the time, the time leading up to bed is a no screen time. Yes. And so we don't have to f figure that out every day. It's already decided. Right. Which I thought that was really helpful when he was talking about the rhythms is that are your kids going to love it? No. Are they still going to ask? Yes. Especially at first, if you're changing yes. a habit. However, it's ex it's expected and they'll ask less. Right. And you have something. And if if they know that it's the expectation and they ask, you have something to appeal to. Right. You can be like, no, we've already discussed this. This is the expectation. Right. Here we go. Instead of if you didn't have that expectation. It's way less decision-making power. You then have to either be like, no, I'm the parent. This is what I'm saying, and you have to deal with that. Or you have to be like giving them a whole like dissertation on why they can't watch a screen now because normally it's okay, but I don't want you to. It's like sure. it just seems like a big drawn-out thing if you don't have that expectation. And so sure. I thought that was a helpful um, piece that he put in there. Yeah. Yeah. I also really appreciated how he talked about like the importance of it. Like I'm trying to go see. Consider the stakes for a moment. I'll just read an excerpt from here because I like, I like it and I have a couple points out of it. If we do not teach our kids about sex, screens will be happy to do it for us. If we do not teach them categories of good and evil, then screens will be happy to obscure all of them. If we do not teach them that God made them who they are on purpose, man or woman, and black or white, then screens will be happy to confuse their understanding of all of these things. If we do not teach them that buying things will not make them happy and that consumption always leaves you hungrier, then screens will teach them that being a consumer is a way to status and satisfaction. If we do not teach them that the world of nature is ferocious and fantastic, something to be stewarded and stunned by, then the world of screens will teach them that looking at pictures of nature is enough. If we do not teach them that silence is a sacred place where God speaks to us, then screens will make sure they never, ever discover it. If we do not teach them that vulnerable and embodied friendship is the heart of the good life, then screens will relentlessly nudge them toward connecting and liking their way to endemic loneliness. So the ones that really struck me in that were like the nature because I've met, I've talked to a lot of kids who I'll be like, oh yeah, this picture of this thing, like, have you ever seen one of those? And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, no, have you ever seen one in real life? And they're like, what? No. Mm. Like that's not even enough. They're just like, that blows their mind to think that they could see it in real life. Yeah. And like, I want, I want to experience things in real life and I want that for our kids too someday. And then the one that really struck me and convicted me and I've, I'm playing with the idea of some kind of like media screen fast altogether for a while is 
If we do not teach them that silence is a sacred place where God speaks to us, then screens will make sure they never, ever discover it. Hmm. And I think that that's so true, even in my life. Mm -hmm. Like, it's way easier to have a screen of some sort. Or even now that we're, like, switching to more reading, okay, cool, great. Have an audiobook playing. Have music playing. Like, making space for silence is a discipline that we as adults need, but it's also a discipline that we need to help our children learn so that they can grow up into it as well. So that they're not growing up in noise and then having to unlearn that as adults. Yeah. Yeah. And like what to do with yourself in silence. Right. And like... Planning to have silence too. Right. Like planning. To make that place for margin and stillness and like coming before the Lord in those times. Yeah. And being comfortable in silence because I'm not very comfortable in silence. (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. I don't know. That was just something I thought was really good. Yeah. So yeah. So setting limits and having a plan ahead of time. And then of course, sticking to your plan, not making lots and lots of exceptions to the plan, mm-hmm. I think is good. But I think the part that I really, really liked is the next layer, if you want, if it's okay to move on, Shalene, sure. of like making good choices within our limits of like, okay, so we're going to have like planned time for when screens are okay, planned time for when screens are not okay. But we don't just say yes to everything when we have access to a screen. We still have to make good choices within those limits. Right. And the first thing that comes to my mind from that he shared that actually my parents did to some level um, and even explicitly talked to us kids about it is that he, he says, like, choose media that expands or educates. Oh, yeah. And so, like, and so, you know, that doesn't mean that everything you watch has to be a documentary that's, like, teaching you something. But, like choose quality stuff that you want your to be feeding your imagination mm-hmm. and uh and my parents would like we would watch like war movies and we'd watch movies that had cussing in it and killing in it and stuff like they we would never watch sexual stuff but like we would watch some graphic things but they would have a conversation with us and they'd say no like this is a movie or uh, a show or something that is teaching us something about history about, you know, whether it's a war movie or, you know, maybe uh, the racial history of the United States. And so there's a lot of maybe uncomfortable stuff that that goes into that topic. But they would say, like, no, we're watching this because there's value in seeing the world for what it is. Yeah. And so for historical purposes, like, they would say, like, no, we're watching this for this reason. Right. And so, like, even just having that conversation... Um, and having that idea is helpful to decide what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Yes. Well, and I think it's cool, too, because, okay, sure, you can have that understanding and then, like, have your movies curated to the extent that when you start to watch one, you're like, okay, kids, this is what we're going to learn. Or I also appreciate how he brought up that just having that that mindset um, as you enter watching movies as a family is just helpful overall because then – no matter, even if it's something new, you're all watching together or whatever, there's the opportunity to pause the movie and talk. So he talks about The Sandlot and how he like loves that movie, but then like the objectification of Wendy Peppercorn. Right. Like, like. And when the kid like pretends to drown so he can kiss her right. against her will and all and this stuff. And he's like, I paused it right then and there because with my four boys, they need to know that like you do not ever kiss a girl without her consent. Right. And like you do also like she is made in the image of God. Like we don't objectify her body and like have those conversations. Um, and I just appreciated, Oh, where I was going with this is he talks about like the, the goodness of that is it brings up conversations that you can have with your children that you need to have because how does he say it? He says like, you will be there for the movie night and the conversation. You may not be there the first time that their friend makes an off-color joke. Right. And so you can train them in that movie night through that conversation that comes up out of a movie how to respond and to not be surprised and taken off guard. And they already know and are trained with like, no, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. As opposed to if those conversations don't happen. Yeah then they're going to happen with their friends anyway. And then they're like, oh my goodness. Or they're not friends, you know, just people that are around. Just the world. Yeah. Yeah. In life. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that can be an uncomfortable truth for, for, I don't know, us Christians or a lot of Christian parents or I don't know, even non-Christian parents of like, yeah, there's like a lot of very, I'll just say bad stuff for lack of a better term, bad stuff out there. And it's like, if we just try to shelter our kids and just say like, that's bad and, and then never have a conversation about it, um, it sets your kids up to not know how to deal with it. Yeah. Because for one thing, if you just tell someone like, that's bad, don't touch it. And we're not going to talk about it. It's like the only thing they want to do is go touch it and explore it and figure it out. Touch the butt. Yeah. (laughs) Like Nemo. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. I think there's something profound in that little scene. Um, But, but if you sit down with your kid and you go like, no, I'm not afraid of this topic we still have a moral stance one way or another on this situation or this topic, yeah. but I'm comfortable as the adult talking about it with you, yeah. then it, I think it neutralizes yeah. um, the, the allure to some level. Um, and also what I love about it is that it communicates to your kids that you are a safe place to talk about it in the future. Right. And I just think that there, I don't know, I could just think of even situations in my own life where like an adult would just like come down really hard and like, this is bad or this is wrong, whatever. Or, or I'd even ask a question. I'd say like, so like I would kind of probe like, okay, so this weird gross thing or this sinful thing that, that I'm not sure about, like, can you tell me what that is about? And, and sometimes they'll sidestep and be like, well, that's just, yeah, that's just not very good. And they'd like don't have the conversation or they come down really strong, like that's bad. And I don't want you thinking about that or talking about it. Da, da, da. Either way, like that communicates that, Oh, you're not someone I can talk to about this. Right. And so it's like, it's interesting. Cause I don't know. I just think about like in the future when I'm hopefully going to be having these conversations with my kids, you're kind of having two conversations at the same time. Oh yeah. Meta communication. Go babe. Yeah. <laughs> Shalene's excited. I am. No, but Keep it's, talking. it's just what I said of like, you're having the conversation of like the topic. Yeah. But then you're also having the conversation of like, what is the nature of our relationship? Right. Parent to child. Yeah. Am I as the parent, a safe person to talk to? Yeah. Am I comfortable talking about this? Am I able to talk about this and have control of my emotions? Mm -hmm. Am I able to teach my kid about this? Mm -hmm. Or do I become uncomfortable and defensive and, and, uptight, you know, whatever, but pick your adjective. Um, that yeah. is communicating something about the nature of your relationship with your kid yeah. in addition to the literal topic that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about it like being awkward and then you decide like, no, it's not going to be awkward. And so you like change that. But I'm realizing it doesn't have to be awkward from the beginning. Right. Like if you just decide that as the parent and you start those conversations with your kids, then they may never even realize that it was awkward. I think of you, Shalene, in like talking to new people you've never met before. Okay. I think a ton of people go into those situations and are like, this is going to be really awkward because I got to talk to people I don't know. Yeah. And then they have an awkward beginning of a conversation or an awkward introduction. Uh Whereas all the time, Shalene, you're like, no, it's a new person. It's not going to be awkward because I want to get to know them and I'm going to ask them lots of questions and it's going to be great. Yeah. And then that's exactly what happens and it's fine. It's true. And so similarly, if we're talking about like, oh, like, yeah, the Holocaust really was a real thing or you know, this sexual topic or this other unsavory topic mm-hmm. like that is happening in this movie. Like, I like what you're saying about like, as the parent, you can just decide that I'm not going to be awkward it's about not it awkward. and I'm going to speak to them in plain terms. Yeah. Well, but then you have the fun of like your kid doesn't realize it's awkward. So then they take that out <laughs> into the world <laughs> as empowered little humans. And uh yeah. But which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Of like it comes up among their friends and everyone's like, ooh, this like spooky topic. And I could just and then your see kid it. is like, no, this is not awkward. Like, what's wrong with you guys? Yeah. <laughs> I could also le- see that leading to some interesting relational things, though, between us and other parents at some point in life. Which I mean, it's just, I mean, that's just something we're going to have to figure out. So, yeah. But it'll be good. Yeah. I don't know. And so, like, Yes, media that expands or educates is just like a really good section header yes. for that. So I don't yeah. know if you have a thought you're going to share. Well, I wanted to share another little quote, but it's under the next section. So if you want to read the next little section header, 
first. Yeah. Okay. So this is where I was heading. Like okay, this is the one I put like five stars around yes. this little section. Like I was like screaming from the rooftops. This is my favorite part of the whole chapter. Um, and it's just called be present. Yeah. And so I don't know, you were going to share something, Celine. So well, you I'm sure you're that. about to read it, but his, one of his biggest points here is that he's not just trying to show his kids and show his kids and then pr- try to protect his kids from the danger and the evil that is out there. But he's wanting them to realize that like the evil is in here too. Mm-hmm. And that's like a very gospel message yeah. of like, no, there's evil, there's sin in each of us in mm-hmm. our hearts. Yeah. And so I think it's um, a naive approach I don't know, naive or whatever, to think that we can like shelter our kids and we want to keep them super safe and like we can shield them from all of the yucky things out in the world. And I think that's a damaging approach too, because then it negates the fact that like they're sinners. Right. It it's kind of And it dismisses that and they have no need for a Jesus because they've been protected from all of the yucky. Yeah. Yeah. I've been listening to uh Nate Wilson talks about how he gets really annoyed about Charles Dickens because all of his child characters are these innocent little angels just because they're cute little children. And he was talking about how, like, as a Christian author, he gets annoyed that the kids are, like, just perfect little children in all the stories. And he's like, that's not a biblical perspective of children. It's also not a real perspective of children. Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, And, like, yes, we can talk about, like, the innocence of a child. And, like, sure, there's some level of that. Like, there is innocence in ignorance. Yes. There can be that level. But children are not 100% innocent. Right. um, They are still sinners. They have dark places within their own hearts. Mm-hmm. And those can be, you know, uh, developed and become more dark, and they can become a worse and worse person. Or those can be disciplined and and sanctified and saved through through Christ. But like this idea that like there's badness in the movie, and my child is this perfectly innocent little creature that would be tainted by this movie, is the wrong paradigm. Yeah, it's more that no, there's sin in my kid, and if they watch this movie and are encouraged by it, it can motivate them and encourage them and feed the darkness within them. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be that either. It could be a, pre- a situation where I, as the parent, am present with the child. Mm-hmm. And when the dark theme or whatever gross thing happens on the movie, now I get to step in as the parent, the loving authority, mm-hmm. and get to have a conversation about like, yeah, that's really bad. And also that is in us too. Mm-hmm. And so now we get to have a conversation about the gospel or yeah. about um, how does this apply to my life? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also just reminding me of like that, like that's the power of narrative of like as humans, when we watch a movie or read a book or hear some other narrative, we we become like a character in that story. And so that's like the cool thing about reading books and watching movies is like, Maybe I wasn't alive in the 1960s uh, during the civil rights movement and you know all of all of that racial stuff. But like when I watch movies and read books about it, I am like transported to that time, and I have like a proxy experience of like getting to live through that. Mm-hmm. And then if I, as a parent, I am then present with my kid in that kind of movie situation or what have you, now I get to actually parent them. I get to actually have a conversation with them because I am present with them in this story that is actually just portraying life as it actually is, that my kid is going to experience one way or another eventually. So why would I not just be present with them in the midst of it? And Mm so obviously there are developmentally appropriate levels to all of this. Like you don't just, I don't know, you're not just going to show like Schindler's List to your seven-year-old or anything like that. I've still never seen that, actually. Yeah, I actually... Okay, I actually haven't either, but I just just know that's like a a rough movie to watch, so... Okay. I I do know one time... Okay, so there's like... And you're going to mess up, like... And so, like, I'm going to tell on my parents. My parents are awesome, but, like, one time we watched this movie and it was, like, World War II, Japan, these people get captured and it was, like, a a prisoner of war camp movie. Um, And we were kind of young, but, like, there's a scene where they, like, literally burn some of the prisoners alive and it's like Yikes. oof and you kind of watch that and at my 10 year old self was like oh my gosh and i was like kind of freaked out by that and so then my parents had to like 
pause the movie and be like, uh, is everyone okay? And like, we had to take some time to calm down and we prayed as a family. And so it was like, okay, maybe that was a little beyond what 10 year old and eight year old Jared, uh, 10 year old Daniel and eight year old Jared could handle. But like, you know, it was an honest mistake and we move on and like, it's okay. And you remember it forever. I know. <laughs> yeah. But here's the cool part of that yeah. is my parents were present and they were able to pause the movie and address it. And address it. Yeah. Imagine if like Jared and I had just like found that movie and watched it by ourselves in our bedroom alone and then like been traumatized by like these like horrible things that happened in World War II. Yeah. And then like didn't have a parent to be like, oh no, I'm here and like I'm a safe place to talk about that. Like that would be way worse. Yeah. So like even in the like moments where maybe parents don't get it right, it's still better to be present mm -hmm. than to be absent. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. So like, yes, there is a developmentally appropriate level to all of this with the age of your kid, but like I the principle of being present and having active conversations, um, in the midst of things that come up through media, um, is just really cool. I just got really excited, um, when he was talking about that in the book. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like when does he talk about he mentions and I like the idea that they have a rule that you have to watch the credits and it's not literally that you have to like read every single person's name, but it's that the the credits have to play through because before they're allowed to like jump up and go to the next activity or play the next show or whatever. And the purpose is that it gives opportunity for conversation to happen and for debriefing to happen and I really like that. And it's something that I would kind of even like to do with just us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because even like with the, with the snow days, we've watched a movie the last couple of nights mm -hmm. before bed. And that's been fun. Um, but like it's something that I would like to do. Yeah. Yeah. And and he's not, you know, romanticizing credits of like yeah, oh, no. a true connoisseur of movies watches the credits. No. no. Like the 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 heading there in the book is like we're we're in this together. It says watch communally then process communally. Yes. And so the credits is just an opportunity to pause. Yeah. And talk to everyone like, "Hey, what did you think? What right. what is what did what are Which, you processing?" instead of autoplay to the next thing or just like shutting off the computer and running and not processing. Yeah, which I think okay, one is good for parenting, child development, all of that and being able to like work through any lessons that need to happen. But also, I think it's good in the aspect of like you are raising little cultured adults. Like did they know how to critique a movie or to have thoughts about what they just watched <laughs> how to discuss yeah, a movie? like critical thinking if you will yeah. but like you know like if you have those conversations with your kids they'll grow up and like be able to have those conversations um pre-college yeah <laughs> like, yeah for sure which is yeah which is really important yeah. and so yeah and i can think of tons of times when um even if like you're going to the movie theater, mm -hmm. like maybe the credit, maybe you don't stay for the credits, but you then have a drive home yeah. to then discuss the movie. And I can remember yeah. tons of times, whether it was with my family or whether I went to the movies with, um, with another family and then they were dropping me off at home. It was yeah. like, it was like, that was just an opportunity to discuss what we watched and you know, was that biblical? Was that a good character? Was that was that sloppy writing? Was that good writing? Just like yeah. all all of those discussions are wholesome and enriching. That makes for me everyone. think a lot of the ficuses. Yeah, that that was actually think. I actually remember thinking of like one movie we went we went and watched this like feel good football movie. It was not Remember the Titans. Um, <laughs> um, and I remember like. Some people being, I think it was that. And then also like, uh, God's not dead. I feel like I went with the ficuses and some people in the van were like, that was an amazing movie. That was inspiring. Da, 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 da. And then I was like, I don't know. I feel like the message communicated by this was like kind of chopped off. Like they were trying to imply this message and like, yeah, it's like you have different perspectives and it's like, mm -hmm. I still remember times of like driving home after a movie and processing it together Yeah. instead of like everyone just like being on their phone and not in the car, you know, something like right. that. Yeah. Well, so. and again, at the meta communication level, it's good. It's good for families to talk about everything. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, 
instead of having the habit of like, oh, we just do things and we just keep doing things. It's I I want our family to have the habit of like we do things, but then we talk about the things that we do and how we felt about it and what we thought about it and what it did for our relationships. And yeah, just like not silently moving on to the next thing mm-hmm. just because we do things together because yeah. that is great. Yeah. Doing things together. Fantastic. But if you're just doing things, that alone doesn't build relationships and doesn't build mm-hmm. doesn't build much. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we're kind of getting close to an hour here, but another, I kind of jump random to other things, like another thing that relates to um, making good choices within limits that we've kind of already covered, but I just want to cover explicitly because it's on my mind of like, not like some people call it drivel of drivel of stupid stuff like just right. watching stupid stuff just because it's stupid yeah um and i this also just reminds me of previous conversations we've had about good and bad taste um you and i had a conversation on the podcast about like is there ever a time when you can just like eat junk food or like watch junk tv or you know yeah. what have you and i don't know for us lately like it's the answer to that question has been more and more yeah no thank you yeah. And so it's just like, I don't know. I think we're, I think you and I are watching TV less and less. Mm-hmm. And then what we do watch when we watch is like, this better be a good movie, or like, I hope it's a good movie, or I'm going to watch something that I know is a good movie because yeah. I know this will be enriching for me. Which I am comforted by the fact that he mentions like having a watch list and creating a canon and like rewatching things because as you're talking to me right now, I'm like, well, I kind of still watch things, but it's always called Midwife and I kind of just rewatch the seasons over and over and then that makes me feel dumb. But then I remember that he said that and I'm like, oh, hey, (laughs) feel validated. Yeah. Well, because every time I try to like find a new show, it's trash. There's so much trash. And I'm like, or I could just go back, watch Call the Midwife. Disclaimer, there are a few trash episodes on there. Okay. I'm just, I'm not claiming it's all perfect, but it's pretty great. So, okay. Ju- so just as a case study, yeah. what is wholesome or enriching about Call the Midwife? The relationships, the way it's about nurses taking care, like midwives taking care of women and just their families in the east end of london like 1940s through 1970s and it's just the way that they genuinely care for their patients and walk with them through life birth death sickness health marriages all the vows all the marriage vow things (laughs) well but really and like how they struggle with faith in the midst of all of that and how they struggle with relationships in the midst of that and how they struggle with their own families, which is relationship. I realize that. And then like how there's medical advances along the way. So it's like intriguing also historically to look at um, and socioeconomic things. I don't know. There's just a lot of like heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like real life stuff of like, oh, like people's babies die or single moms have to raise kids or like maybe this mom doesn't have the resources to get medical help. How do we help those? Right. Like all these very real problems that like, yikes, how do we actually deal with this? And, and I, yeah, I also, I mean, I don't watch the show as prolifically as, as you do, but like when I do watch it, I, I get something out of it and it, it enriches my perspective of the world or Mm -hmm. it, it educates me on like, how I could maybe deal with things like mm-hmm. that. And then and then also another huge thing that I think runs through that whole show is like, how do you talk to people yeah. that are dealing with that stuff? Because the premise of the show is it's it's about the midwives. Mm-hmm. And so usually the people that are like going through like a horrendous trial is the patients. Yeah. And then it's like, as the midwife or as the doctor, how I- do you talk to and comfort people that are going through really hard stuff yeah. in a way that is actually helpful. Yeah. And like they actually like portray that in so many ways mm-hmm. that is like really cool to see. Yeah. Just the compassion. And then that shows up also with like, since it's a high poverty area, like it shows up with them being willing to serve and have compassion for those who like everyone else finds disgusting. Yeah. 
And like, honestly, so often I see like the heart that we are called as Christians to have, like the heart of Christ. And that's not at all what they're promoting in the show. Yeah, it's not overtly Christian. No. No. Um, yeah. And like I said, there are things I totally don't agree with. And every little episode has a moral that the narrator like brings out. And I don't always even agree with that. A lot of times it's fluffy and I'm like, mm, that's pretty humanistic. Now I'm good. <laughs> um, but yes, like I tear up a lot just like seeing the compassion of the characters. And it challenges me to consider how I handle others. Yeah. And I, th- I think so then that is kind of just like an example of something that is contrasted with like, what are you watching on TikTok or Facebook or even, even on Netflix, like call the midwife is on Netflix. Yeah. Like what other junk on Netflix have I watched mm-hmm. and just spent tons of time wasting my life watching right. stuff that did not make me think more deeply about anything. Didn't uh, make me feel or have an emotion that was like enriching for me to experience, like mm-hmm. how much drivel as yeah. some people call it, like just junk have I consumed that did nothing for me. Yeah. And so instead, so like, so like this is one of the areas of like, this is one of the no's within the yes. I'm saying yes to movies and media, but I'm saying no to garbage that doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. And well, and I know that there's the argument of like, well, I just like to have something on in the background. Like I'm not actually watching, but I just like, so then more of the stuff you might be calling drivel, like it's just background noise and I like to have something on and I'm not going to watch it and I don't want to have to apply my brain to it to get something out of it. But even to that, I would say like, have something that's like not junk on in the background. Like that's kind of... <laughs> so for the 10 seconds, you are actually paying attention. Well, or even <laughs> like I get the not wanting the heaviness, but that's why I really like Call the Midwife is like, because even if I'm just like wanting to tune out from the day and crochet, okay, cool, great. I'm not fully paying attention to Call the Midwife, but like it's still like not trash. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think of, yeah. And like, yeah, we're not saying like you can never just like have a brain break. And yeah. and again, like not everything you watch has to be like this deep historical drama that yeah. is like, you know, a high level lesson in some deep human experience. Like it, hmm. it doesn't have to be that. But I think just asking the question of like just doing a regular inventory of like, hey, what am I consuming regularly? What am I consuming mostly? Yeah. Is it rare that I consume something wholesome or is it r- rare that I'm consuming junk? And so again, black black and white, yes or no is not helpful, but like where's the pattern? Where's the majority of my focus? Yeah. I don't know. I think that inventory kind of on a continual basis mm-hmm. and then – also with the ever-present question of like what could be better or like how could I run more after righteousness? Like we've talked about that I feel like on another episode. But I think that's just something that I want to be careful not to fall into patterns of like, well, what's wrong with it? Because that's easy to do. It's comfy. It's good. But like I want to challenge myself to live before the Lord in a way of like, okay, Lord, instead of what's wrong with it, like what's righteous in it and like what's pointing me to you. And like, yeah, there are days when I'm like, "Ah, I'm not going to think about that because I just want to like chill. But overall in my life, like I want to be running toward that and not dismissing things Mm -hmm. Yeah, from that scrutiny. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Kind of along those lines, I've heard I've I heard of parents that said that like when their kids turned sixteen, they were allowed to watch whatever they wanted. Whoa! But they had to be able to explain to their parents why they were watching it, and they had to be able to talk about it. Ah, and right. so like you saying like, well, what's right with it? It like reminded me of that of like some parents like even have that approach of like okay you've been a lot you've been our house for sixteen years yeah you either understand these principles or you don't like some yeah. parents are just like if if you're sixteen and you still Honestly, are not not living under this like what's the point of fighting with you and so. It, Honestly, seems, it seems like kind of a wild west approach, but if you've been an intentional parent for sixteen years leading up to that, I could see it working. Well, really, 
maybe well yeah not explicitly in this area but um in a lot of areas that's what it was for me when I turned 16 my parents were like okay like we've raised you we can trust you you can date if you want yeah and, and- I was like nah nothing so I'll pass on that please <laughs> please keep saying that I'm not allowed to um yeah but yeah just things and that like worked for me but then it went a little differently for my brother because they tried and that didn't work so well. And so that was harder. Love you, Isaac. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I'm not opposed to that because I think that's also good too of like giving a little bit of freedom to start walking and learning what it means to be an adult before they get kicked out to college or whatever is next. You know, like they need to practice that in a more hands-off way before they're fully on their own. Yeah, it's it goes back to like this idea of being present and so yeah. like it's a, it's like being present when your kid has no limits. Mhm. And being able to have a conversation that, with them about self-limiting. Right. And so Ooh, which that yeah, was in the know. book because you said that like you had a quote from Jocko, is that how you say it? Oh, name? Jocko Willink. Yeah, of like yeah, discipline, discipline is, is freedom. true freedom. Is freedom. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's a whole thing too. And what else was I reading? I was reading something. I've been reading a lot lately, which is good. But something that was just talking about, oh, it was the verse in Proverbs, you know, that says like, without vision, the people perish. Yeah. But happy is the man who keeps the law of the Lord hmm. is the other part of that verse. Yeah. And I was looking at the the actual meaning of those words and vision is like um, revelation from God and the people perish can also be translated like the people cast off restraint or are unrestrained mm-hmm. and just this idea. And then it says, but happy is the man who keeps the law of the Lord. And so it's contrasting these things of like, if we don't have revelation in God of like, what is good and then like constrain ourselves to follow that which is good and if we do we'll be blessed like happy or blessed is that word is the man who keeps the law of the lord then we're unrestrained we cast off restraint and it just made me think of that whole idea of like self-discipline and how like the law of the lord is a standard that we can discipline ourselves to and like that brings blessing and goodness and that was a whole rabbit trail but it just totally no yeah well like what he's saying i I looked at that paragraph and like what he's talking about is like we're all tempted to want it all yeah so like when it's like i have a screen i want to watch whatever i want whenever i want and it's like no that's that leads to you becoming addicted to your screen yeah and now instead of being free quote unquote because i can do whatever i want it's like no now you're kind of a slave to it Mm -hmm. and you can't live without it now Mm -hmm. and so it's it's like a it's like a scam yeah. of thinking I get freedom because I can do whatever I want, but then you actually just become enslaved to this addictive thing. Yeah. Um, and it also just reminds me even of Matthew 4 mm. of like, that's what the devil tempted Jesus with. He's like, I can give you it all. Mm-hmm. You can have it all. Look at all these kingdoms. Like, I'll give you food. Like, you know, um, prove to me that you're the son of God. But like two of those temptations was like, trying to give Jesus something, trying to trick him into th- like, you need this thing. I'm going to give you something. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. Like, well, I'm, I'm tripping over. Like, so with the bread of like, man does not live on bread alone, but every uh, word, uh, but the word that comes from God. God. Wow. I'm yep. really struggling with that. That's it's embarrassing. Right. Keep going. But then the other temptation of like the Satan showing him all the kingdoms of the earth of like, if you'll just bow down to me. And Jesus was like, no, like we worship the Lord God alone. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the temptation. So like even that picture applies to screens of like, you can have it all, get this streaming service or get these five streaming services and like, you can have it all. And it's just like, no, that's actually not what is good for me. Mm -hmm. Like having free access to the poison closet is not freedom. And that's not life-giving. As shiny and sweet smelling as all of that in there might be, we have to know what actually is good. Mm-hmm. what actually is freedom. And if that's not defined by scripture, then we don't know what true freedom and what true goodness and enriching media is. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I think 
it's probably a good place to end it. Yeah. But I have enjoyed podcasting this with you, and I'm even more looking forward to enjoying reading the next chapter with you. Oh, yeah. I'm glad we podcasted it because now we can read some more. Yeah, cool. So very good. Well, yeah, this is my favorite chapter so far. Sweet. Um, I want to, yeah, I definitely need to continue working on this because like I, I am still recovering from a very unhealthy relationship with screens. Mm. And so I can, I I want to have more of a solid foundation and grip on this, Mm -hmm. um, for when I am a father and then have to deal with kids who are going to, who are going to struggle with this. Yeah. And so like, I want to be a strong role model for them Mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to fix myself and help them at the same time. So yeah. Put your own mask on before you put the other person's mask on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. But yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye.